I'm Tisha Bader and in the news, an initiative promoting gender equality in the high-tech industry with the participation of women from Israel and the Abraham Accords countries. The Fem Forward MENA program was formed in partnership with the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem and the UAE Israel Business Council in 2020, the same year that the Accords were signed. And in May of this year, held its first cohort in Morocco. And this month culminated with its first Israel-Morocco summit in Jerusalem. Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem, Fleur Hassan Nahum, is one of the leading forces behind Fem Forward and is a co-founder of the UAE Israel Business Council. And we are so honored to have her join us now from Jerusalem to speak about this exciting program. Fleur, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Taisha. Wonderful to be with you. Thank you. So just give us some background. How did this Fem Forward initiative begin? So actually, it started off as an initiative that we were doing solely in Jerusalem. I was very involved for many years with the development of the Jerusalem uh, innovation ecosystem. Um, and we, seven, eight years ago, there was really very little going on here. And it was a ground up effort uh, to create an innovation community that then created a few accelerators in the city and innovation centers in the city. And so we were doing a really good job. And we were realizing though, that women in tech were staying behind. So they would start at the same level as men men would advance to senior management positions and women would get stuck. Um, it's actually a global phenomenon. It's called the broken run. For some reason, and we didn't know what exactly was going on, women were not moving forward as fast as men. And so we kept thinking about what we could do. We started off with a networking program and myself and my co-founder, Rachel uh, Wagner-Rosenzweig, we said we wanted to put more meat in the bones. What was going on? Why were these women not advancing? And so we created a wonderful program that does two main things. The first thing is it, it does skills building, things that women are less inclined to do. For example, negotiate for their salary, even ask for the number of the, that they would be comfortable with, um, asking for promotions. This is something that women, somehow we, we're not... Um, I guess, proactive enough, or maybe we're not confrontational enough in the workplace to demand for ourselves. It's something that is kind of counterintuitive for us. Sheryl Sandberg, who used to be the CEO of Facebook, talks a lot about this. And the second thing that we did is set up women with mentors, other successful women that were, who were older and who'd made it. And what were their secrets? What could they how could they help these women strategize to go forward? And so we created this program back in 2020. And uh, we had both uh, Israeli Jewish women and Arab women, ultra-Orthodox women, secular women. We had basically the whole range of Jerusalem women on this program. And the success of this program was really unprecedented. 50 to 60% of the women were getting pay rises after only three months of program. So we did a number of cohorts and then we decided that we wanted to take it regionally. And with a special grant from the American embassy, we managed uh, to create this program. We've started off in Morocco. As you mentioned, we had a cohort of Israeli Moroccan women. We started the cohort in Casablanca. We finished it here in Jerusalem and in the, and in the middle, they had online webinars and meetings with their mentors. 
Um, and the mentorship is also cross-cultural. So Moroccan women are mentoring Israeli women and Israeli women are mentoring Moroccan women. It's really wonderful. And so that culminated a couple of weeks ago with the event, with the summit here in Jerusalem. And hopefully the next cohort we're looking at is to do it in Bahrain. Wow, it's so exciting. Talk a bit about what that gathering was like in Morocco. I know personally, Fleur, you have family ties to um, that area. What was that experience like for you professionally and also personally? Well, first of all, I'm from Gibraltar, which is in the southernmost tip of Spain. And my mother's from Tangiers, which is the northernmost tip of Morocco. So half my family uh, is from Morocco. Uh, I spent many summers and many Chagim, many Jewish holidays in Morocco. So I'm very connected to Morocco. And uh, so going back there on a professional capacity was really something very special. And on a professional level, you know, I think there's a big misconception that the women from the Middle East and North Africa region are somehow um, suppressed or, uh, you know, um, not strong, but nothing could be more wrong. They, They are... The women in Morocco, as I've discovered, are the women in the Emirates in Bahrain, are strong career women pushing forward and really um, breaking a lot of glass ceilings. And so we did have the women to work with. They have the ambition and we gave them the framework and the skills to move forward. And just from this three month program, three, four of the women on the program from Morocco have already advanced to uh, promotions or even different jobs at a higher salary. Wow, that's remarkable. Talk a bit about the interactions between the Jewish-Israeli women, for example, and the Moroccan women. I'm curious when you sort of have this common goal, this common theme of women in high tech, and it's without politics and it's without any sort of policy issues, I'm assuming that breaks down a lot of barriers and the connections are are easier and and sort of more immediate? I think the most most prominent thing is that women from all around the world, uh, when they meet, and women certainly from the tech field, whether Morocco or Jerusalem or, or wherever else in the world, we realize that the one thing is that we have much more in common than we have that divides us. Um, And so these women, some of them mothers, some of them single, some of them married, when they realize that, you know, we're we're all the same and we all really want the same things in life for ourselves and for our families. And we have the same or similar aspirations. We have aspirations. And so these encounters break down barriers. But what was most uh, significant about the trip of the Moroccan women here was that they didn't realize that half of Israel are Moroccan, still Moroccan Jews. And so they they encountered Moroccan Jews here, speaking to them in Moroccan Arabic. And all of the women, hands down, when they expressed their experience, they said, I didn't realize I was going to feel so at home in Israel. And that's how they felt. They felt at home here. And that's really a huge thing because just if you look at it like big picture, you know, to to feel about a country that hasn't always perhaps been looked at favorably by that part of by the Gulf region, let's say, or by certain Arab countries to then say, oh, this this country feels like home to me is is major. Well, they were so surprised and they weren't telling this to me. They were telling this to the Moroccan ambassador in Israel when he met with them and they said, what's your impression? 
And uh, one wonderful uh, lady, Huda, she told the story of arriving in Israel, getting to the Jerusalem, getting to the Jerusalem train station from the airport and getting off the train and realizing that her bag had gone missing or that her bag, she left her bag on the train, simple as that, with all her things. And she goes to the station manager in Jerusalem, in the main train station in Jerusalem, and he happens to be a Moroccan Jew. He's playing Moroccan Arabic music in his office. He's speaking to her Moroccan Arabic, and Taisha, within two hours, had found her bag. So this is her first impression of Israel. We couldn't have we couldn't have engineered it better. <laughs> you could have tried, but yeah, that sounds like in a way it's a very typical Israeli story, and it's a wonderful it story. Yeah, but for them. It was completely surprising, completely positive. And from that, just set the tone for the rest of the week. And how do you sort of see the ripple effects, the kind of work that you're doing into the, again, into the bigger picture of what's possible in the region between Israel and Arab countries? Well, I think for many, many years, um, Israel and the Egypt and Jordan, who we had a cold peace with, I always kept peace on a very high level of military people, of government people. And what this, what these Abraham Accords have done is developed a new model for peace, which is people-to-people peace. In other words, it's not good enough for you to sign a shiny agreement on the White House lawn. It's we're not going to change a thing if people don't know people, if people have favorable opinions of each other, and we don't move forward as a region as a community, a community of women in the region, a community of scientists in the region, whatever it is, peer to peer, people to people. And that's really what the Abraham Accords has done. And I'm really just very privileged to have been really on one of the front seats of that people to people, a peace development. And for me, of course, somebody who's always pushed women's women's issues forward and women's empowerment and women's self-realization I'm thrilled that we can do this, not just on a country level, not just Jews and Arabs within Israel, but on a regional level as well. Talk a bit about your work and 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 beginning the UAE Israel Business Council. So it's very interesting because we actually uh, set up the UAE Israel Business Council two months before the, the Abraham Accords were announced because we were kind of working on this hunch that something was cooking. We didn't realize it was going to happen so quickly. We just thought we're setting up a a framework for something informal going on. And then within two months, the Abraham Accords were announced. And within a week, we had the first online platform uh, connecting UAE Israel uh, businesses. And because it was the middle of the COVID, in fact, we started doing webinars straight away uh, that were so well attended. You know, people were home, they were on Zooms, and people were so excited about these Abraham Accords. So we managed to get local Emiratis speaking with Israeli businesses, officials from the Emirates talking about how to do business in the Emirates and vice versa. It was a really exciting time. And then within a month, another good friend of mine, Justine Zwerling, who had created a couple of women's networks, business networks around the world, she said to me, we should really do something for women. And she was right. So we co-founded the Gulf Israel Women's Forum. And uh, today we have, you know, tens of business leaders and political leaders and cultural leaders from the entire region. We even have ladies from Saudi quietly joined women from Egypt who say to me, why was there never any of this when we made peace with Israel? And again, I go back to my original point. 
that that piece was very different. It was cold because it wasn't led by people. And this piece, of course, was signed by visionary leaders, but it's been led by people to people. And that's really very special. So important. I want to go back a bit to what you said when you first started Fem Forward, and it was more, it was just basically in Jerusalem and in Israel, um, working towards better inclusion of women sometimes on the outside, like the ultra-Orthodox or um, Arab-Israeli women. What were the challenges you found there and sort of the what you saw develop in, in working with those groups? You know, again, I, I there's no particular issues that either ultra-Orthodox women had or Arab women had. I think everybody felt that they were on the same boat. Um, and the main idea, and this is what I, I actually, I, I'm, I'm a mentor for the program as well as teaching a class in the program, um, is that, you know, ultimately what I say to women is nobody is going to be a better advocate for you than you. And whether it's the more the Arab woman who's a bit more shy because her Hebrew maybe is new, or it's the ultra-Orthodox woman who's coming from a different world and all of a sudden she's in a secular world. It doesn't matter where you come from. What I try and teach these women is that if they don't advocate for themselves, nobody will. And that kind of empowers them to take the reins of their career advancement forward. And I think that is the most valuable thing that they take from this program. You are your best advocate. And if you don't open your mouth and say, I deserve that promotion, nobody is going to do that for you. And uh, and that works, you know, like I said, it, it may resonate differently from the different communities, but everybody has the same issue and everybody has the same disadvantage in the way that they perceive their career advancement. So we encourage women to take control uh, and become masters of their own destiny in terms of their careers and and really um, advocate for themselves. And this is, you know, this is across the board resonates with all the different women from all the different backgrounds. And speaking of all the different backgrounds, Jerusalem is one of the most incredible cities in the world in its diversity, in the different groups that are represented. If you just walk down the street, you can see a Greek Orthodox priest wearing his traditional garb and an Arab woman passing wearing her traditional garb and ultra-Orthodox women and Israeli secular people. It, it's such a microcosm. Right? We're There's the everything. Diverse. We're the most diverse city in the country. It, it's really, it's inspiring. And I'm sure it also has its challenges. And you as deputy mayor, you you see this, you deal with this reality every day. What are some of the first challenges? And then we'll we'll talk about the, the positives that you see in the city as well. Well, you know, I want to say on a positive level that Jerusalem is a city whose DNA, very DNA is that of diversity. This is why King David picked to build the capital of, of the Israel or the nation in Jerusalem because it didn't belong to any one tribe. It was supposed to be a place of gathering. Um, Yerushalayim, the, the words in Hebrew mean Yerushalem. You will see completeness. In other words, everybody will come and complete something. I always say we're not a melting pot, we're a mosaic. And that is what Jerusalem is. The main challenges uh, essentially are, I mean, women have similar challenges, but in the Arab community, the main challenges for women are that they are in a school system that doesn't teach them Hebrew. And unless they make an effort, then they can't really integrate into a successful job market. 
Um, and so language is very much a part of how we try and get these women to go into university education and later good high-tech jobs. In the ultra-Orthodox community, it's about tech awareness, and we're doing more and more with schools about that. And it's about women aspiring more than minimum paid, minimum wage jobs for themselves. You know, traditionally, the ultra-Orthodox women, even the very smart ones, would go and become kindergarten teachers or kindergarten assistants. And now they're realizing that they can be very successful programmers. And so it's about changing paradigms, changing mindsets, and you know, um, helping women understand that they can really reach their potential. All we're doing is just giving a little bit of help. And opening some doors. Um, I was reading an article written by two of the women who took part in uh, the Femme Forward Mina, one from Morocco, one from Israel. And they just talk about building these bridges, making these connections with people. And as you said, that people to people connection and those ties that will probably stay with them forever and have ripple effects each in their own countries. Absolutely. I mean, these women are now going to go back and become ambassadors for the Abraham Accords because they've had such a positive experience. It's given them so much individually and it's given so much to the community of regional women in tech. So these women remain, will remain, uh, you know, they, they they will not be what uh, what they came into the program with individually and as a group. And so that just gets paid forward. We all ask of all the women who are part of the program, who, who of course are part of the program for free. We ask of them to pay it forward. We ask of them to go ahead and mentor a younger woman, a woman starting out, or to give something back to that community of, of women in tech that have given them something. And they all do. So it's really wonderful. You yourself are a, a leader in, you know, in business. You've started many initiatives. You've led different organizations. As far as your own personal experience being a woman in the workplace and on this level, are there things that have sort of shaped you that you pass along to these women to be advice or mentorship, as you said? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I've I've, I've had a lot of different uh, careers. I guess <laughs> I started off as a lawyer. Then I was in nonprofit, then I went into business, and then eventually I'm here in politics. And I always say I've learned the hard way that uh, you are the only person who can really, that, that we shouldn't be waiting around. Sometimes women are under the impression that even if they're the best team member, even if they work the hardest, even if they're the smartest or have the most qualifications, that's not enough. What you have to do is be assertive and understand what you want and then go for it and advocate for it. Nobody is just gonna say, oh my God, Fleur, you are the, you are the most hardworking you know, person on the team. Here's your promotion. That never happens. That will never happen. Men know that instinctively and they're knocking on doors as soon as promotions come up. And women, we just and we 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 have this thing called the marriage proposal syndrome. We think that somebody's just gonna come and offer us because we deserve it. Yes, we deserve it, but that's not the end of the story. Deserving it is the beginning of the story. Going for it, advocating for it is the story. And that's really from my, the scars of my different careers uh, is what I pass on. And Fleur, in your capacity as deputy mayor, I just want to ask you, I, I know we have to let you go in a minute. Um, one of your focuses is on diaspora affairs. And I just wanted to, if you can speak for a minute about 
the Israel-U.S. connection, the Jerusalem-U.S. relationship and um, building on that. Well, look, we wouldn't have been able to do this program if it weren't for the American embassy that now, thank God, sits in the rightful place in Jerusalem, the capital of the state of Israel and the Jewish people. And uh, the American embassy in Jerusalem is not just a diplomatic uh, institution here. It's also very much part of the fabric of innovation in the city, of social innovation, of good programs. They give seed funding to a lot of very good initiatives that may not take off because for some reason, the organizations haven't managed to find the funding. And so that is a very important part of this program. We were thrilled to have in the closing event, Stephanie Hallett, uh, the charge d'affaires for the American embassy, a woman herself who's you know risen through the ranks of the State Department. And so, you know, the connection between Israel and the United States is unbreakable, uh, not just because of our Jewish diaspora in the United States, but really because of the shared values that we have with the United States. And I'm very involved, not just with the embassy that sits here in Jerusalem and doing good things and working together, but I'm also very involved with the U.S. Uh, involvement in the Abraham Accords in general, the way that essentially um, they are very much part of the success of the Abraham Accords. They keep uh, encouraging us. Um, I'm now involved in a a different initiative under my UAE Israel business hat uh, with the the American USA, UAE Business Council. And we're working very, very closely together to advance the Abraham Accords. And I'm very happy to say the previous administration, of course, who, who who initiated the Abraham Accords and this administration who is continuing the Abraham Accords. Well, Flor, we would love to have you back um, for the next Fem Forward. Mina, you said you're working on having that be in Bahrain or with or the UAE. Tell us a little more about that. It's in the principal stages, but essentially the ambassador of the of the uh, Bahrain in, in Israel is very impressed by the program. In Bahrain, women are really uh, in the front lines of politics, of business. And so we really, and they have a lot of tech, especially fintech. So we really want to bring this program uh, for Israeli women and Bahraini women to be able to do this together. And we're very excited. We don't have a date yet, but hopefully it'll be in the early parts of 2024. Wonderful. Well, we invite you back anytime um, to talk about whatever you wish, but certainly about this exciting program. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tisha. Fleur Hassan Nahum is the Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem, and we thank her so much for joining us here on JBS. Thank you also, as always, to our Director Sloan Copeland, to our Transmissions Manager, John McDevitt, Technical Manager, Michael Paley, Producer, Carol Lilienthal, and thank you for watching In the News.